right, hey church, how about how are y'all doing this weekend? How many of you parents are still recovering from that paddling you got the held parenting conference last night and today? You guys are awesome. Any of my linchpin men in the room? Any of my brothers? I learned what this was today. I was 39 years old and I learned what a linchpin was. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, I'm lying. I don't really know what they are still. Um, welcome to the Rock Church. Pastor Brian here. We're glad you are with us. Hey, as we get going, you can grab your Bibles. We are in Romans. We are in chapter 6 today. By God's grace, we will be finishing this chapter. I'm excited to be teaching and preaching for you. If you have your Bibles, please open them. If not, you have verses on your handout. That's great. Or you probably have a phone you're already looking at, and you can go ahead and find your Bible and redeem that time because you're already looking at your phones distracted by another master. So, hey... As we get started, I have a serious confession to make. Oh, these verses are like flying all over the place. Do you want to check on those really quick? There should be a slide that has a lot of bread on it. Let's try. No, you guys are getting all the spoiler alerts. There we go. Um, I have a confession to make. I have a serious bread problem. If you read the E-Rock this week, um, I mentioned that a little bit in detail. I'll go into a little bit more for you now. Um, I cannot control myself when I'm around bread. If it's in the same room, if I can smell it, the aroma of it intoxicates me. I start making different choices. Um, Like, I'll eat bread all day. Like, if I'm making toast, I will eat a regular piece of bread while I'm waiting for my piece of toast to toast. Like, if you were to, like, pay for me to get a loaf of bread tattooed, I would go get tattooed a loaf of bread tattoo right now. Uh, I'm the guy that when you go to Cheesecake Factory, I just ask for the bread, and I'll just eat the bread, and then when I leave, I'll get some bread to go. I can't read John 6 without getting hungry. Y'all are going to figure it. Next time you get to John 6, you're going to go like, oh, the the bread of life. I get it. Um, They just opened up a Pantera bread in South Jordan. Dude, I'm done. Like, here's the keys. So, in a way... Bread has some power. It has some control over me. Sometimes it affects the decisions and the choices that I make, and those aren't always great decisions. And I know that's kind of a silly way of introducing our text today, but in a much more serious way, I think we can all relate that there are oftentimes things in our lives that can overtake us, that have power over us or to say it in another way, can master us. In our text today, God's word's going to reveal to us that everyone has a master. For those of us who believe, of course, we have a better master. His name is Jesus Christ. But our text today is going to give us some great reminders for what this means for us practically as Christians to have Jesus a better master. So if you would bow your heads with me, we will pray. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is good for us. Thank you, Jesus, uh, that you've given us your word. Lord, I pray for your sons and your daughters in this room this weekend, this evening, and tomorrow morning, God, that your word, they would hear from you. God, you are the source of life. You are the bread of life. You are our Lord. You are our master. That's what we proclaim when we say, Jesus is Lord. We are saying, Jesus is master. So, Lord, I ask that you would speak to your servants, your sons, your daughters, 
I pray, Lord, that you would speak through me, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer, in whom all God's children said, amen. Amen. Okay, so let's get rolling. We're going to start in chapter 6, verse 15, but I'm going to go ahead and read verse 1 to you, because if you notice... Right at the beginning, these almost sound like the same verse. Verse 1 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And we covered that two weeks ago with Pastor Josh. And then now here in verse 15, it sounds almost identical. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. So they sound similar, but there is a difference. Because, see, verse 1 is answering this idea that If I'm saved by grace, then I guess maybe I can just keep on sinning, right? Because grace, and the answer is, God forbid. (laughs) Who who taught you that? They should stop teaching out loud with their mouths. We are dead to sin. We heard that over the last two weeks, right? We're We're fighting. We're at war with sin that remains in us because Christ died for sins, and we were buried with him. And now verse 15 is answering a question that, is very slimmer, but they're similar. And there was this idea that could have been popped out of somebody's head. They're going like, okay, well then, if I'm saved by grace, then the law, like if I'm under grace and I'm not under the law, then all these requirements and these rules and like obedience and all those things, I can do what I want, right? Like there's, I can just live however I want. Both responses, Paul says, what are you thinking? God forbid, by no means, In all of the rest of chapter 6 today, Paul is going to make this case uh, for the believer that though we still struggle with sin, we are daily being nude, we are being sanctified by the power and the Spirit of the Lord, we are under the banner of grace, we are not free to sin. We've actually been freed from sin. There's a bondage that we're talking about. And when we are under grace, that does not mean we just do whatever we want. It actually means that we are now free to live and dwell with an infinitely better master, Jesus Christ. And so our first big idea for you this weekend, if you'd like to follow along in your handout, is that everyone has a master. Everyone. Do you not know, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So if you notice here, we have this new imagery of slave. Slavery, the the idea, this illustration of slavery will dominate the rest of this text, and the Apostle Paul will say about eight different times in our verses. He's using this analogy. He's painting this picture of slavery and a master to make a very real point that who or what we obey, who or what that we allow to control us is an evidence of what truly rules us. Or in another way, a slave submits themselves to their master. And now I know in our Western civilization, we have a pretty bad taste in our mouth when it comes to the word slavery. And for good reason. We think of the dehumanizing and the cruelty that has taken place to countless men and women who have faced, think of example, the transatlantic slave trade that has marked a shameful stain in our world and our country's history. 
men and women and children being packed into boats and sold on the chopping block against their will and tortured and beaten and starved and the brutal consequences that slaves experienced by horrible slave masters that didn't care anything about their well-being and just treated them as their property. So I know slavery, this slavery metaphor can be very unpleasant thought for us. But I need you to understand that none of that is what the Apostle Paul is applying or what is meant here in this text, okay? Wrong. That is not what we're talking about. Though this kind of slavery was happening then, Paul is using this term, slave, doulos, or bondservant is the rendering of the word in a different way. Did you know that in the ancient world, a major reason for slavery was actually voluntary servitude. This kind of slavery is a little bit different. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, right? But when a person, for example, was unable to fulfill their financial obligation to someone that they were indebted to, their only response was to say, well, I cannot pay you, so therefore I will work for you. I will be a slave. I will be a bondservant to you, and I will pay this debt off. Much Much like your employer. They pay you a wage. Sometimes it feels not very exciting, but they pay you for your services, right? Uh, So that's a little bit more accurate of a context when Paul's using this word slave or doulos or bond servant. I cannot pay you. I will serve you. So be careful that we don't inject the wrong interpretation of slavery into this text and think that Paul is like enforcing and endorsing what we understand as Americans' ter- history of uh, slavery and things like that, okay? And I want you to consider this. The first big idea, again, everyone has a master. This is a reality in the spiritual condition of the entire human race. Everyone has a master. Everyone worships something because we are all creatures who have been made to worship. This is true whether you are religious or not. You may not subscribe to the God of the Bible, but everyone worships something. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this, right? He says, we will either serve and worship the Creator or we will serve and worship created things. Everyone who lives on this planet has a master that they ultimately bow to. There is something, there is someone that everyone bows to, submits to, is ruled by, is controlled by, or is the tense, the, the way that Paul is using the tense here, is a slave, something masters. And if you notice, he makes this very clear in verse 16, right? That's the case. If you present yourselves, if you present yourselves, right? There's this willing handing of yourself over As obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. So there's this willing offering and subjugation of ourselves as slaves to that thing. And again, the spiritual implication is that Paul's saying, you do, do you not know, Christian, right? He's reminding the Christian, the believer. He's saying, before you and I were rescued, we just sang, you came to my rescue, right? Before we were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Before we put our faith in the Lord, you and I were under the bondage, under slavery to something. Now, what those things are may present themselves in plenty of different ways in our world today, right? This could be money and our career and fame and popularity. This could be sex. This could be politics. This could be religion. 
These are things that you and I can't live without. These are things that we stand for, or these are things that we stand against, things that we don't have control over, things that may direct the way that you would normally go about doing life, things that you give all of our time and our energy and our effort and our affections and our passions to. In all of these ways, we are creatures who are made to worship. And what we're really doing is we're just worshiping that thing that controls and masters us. We have no problem finding things to give us time and energy to, or things that will master over, over us. Or to say it another way, very simply, no one is free. That's what these verses are saying very clearly. In the text, Paul boils all of these masters, all of these things that could take over all of our affections and cause us to sin and cause us to idolatry and all of these things, Paul boils it down to two. He says there's two masters. There's God or there's sin. And you see that in verse 16, slaves to sin or slaves of obedience. You see that again in verse 17 and 18. You are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. And then towards the end of chapter 6, verse 20 and 22, we have either slaves to sin or slaves to God. So Scripture is making it very clear. There are two camps that represent the entire world, everyone under my voice. Everyone who's ever lived and walked on this planet, there are those whose sin is master or Jesus Christ is master. And those for us who are in Jesus Christ, a transaction has happened, right? A handing over has taken place. We are no longer under the bondage of sin. We are now under the bondage, which is true freedom in Jesus Christ. Now, what this means for the Christian, very simply, right, is that we are saved from sin, but by no means does that mean we're just free to live how we want and run out into oncoming traffic and get hit by cars and be like, there's no consequences for that, right? Some of us are Christians, and we go out and get ourselves hit by sin all the time, and we're like, why do I do that? That's the next two chapters of Romans. It's all like, why do I do the things that I know I shouldn't do? But for the Christian, we don't go, oh, I'm saved by grace, so therefore I'm just going to keg stand it up. It's time to party 30. Like, no, we live a little different. That's not our master anymore. And so we say, I am no longer a slave to serve sin. I'm now actually empowered. God has given me his Holy Spirit. I'm actually free to serve the living God. And that's amazing. I would encourage you to take inventory of your life, the things that you may be willingly presenting, offering yourselves up to. What are, maybe there are some things in your life that you just very easily hand your time and your energy and affections over to. Maybe something's mastering you today and it's not Jesus. That's worth considering. Furthermore, when something masters us, when someone or something has control, has domain, has authority over us, whatever that thing is, it's going to leave a mark on us, right? Your next big idea this weekend is everyone is being molded by something. Think about the people that you surround yourselves with. You notice you start becoming more like them. I got some friends that I hang out with. They play like the dorkiest video games on the planet. And I've been making fun of them for a while. And now guess who's playing the most dorkiest games on the planet? Your boy. <laughs> Our friends, we love them. 
hobbies, passions, interests. Their hobbies, passions, interests are becoming our things, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but this is also true. There are things in our lives that tempt us and cause us to be distracted and lead us away from our affections to Jesus. We're being molded by things like sin and temptation. When it has a grip on us, it starts to reshape us. You know what I'm saying? You think about like your anger. Like nobody has to practice getting good at anger. We've already been so molded by our anger and our short temper. Like when you're driving, you are the most self-righteous person on the planet. You're better than everybody. You don't have to practice that. You're just naturally good. We're molded by our anger and it's just in us and it leaves this mark on us. Or for when alcohol is your master, it's you cannot wait to get home. I've got to crack open that case of Franzia. I cannot wait for the weekend. Like, it dominates so much of your week. I know I'm not teaching anybody today. I know. Or when pride is your master, you will always find a way to make yourself the center of attention. Or you have 17 opinions on 27 different things. You're always trying to find a way. to. It's about you because it molds us. We crave it. Or your cell phones. You pick that thing up hundreds of times a day to take a hit from it. And then when it dies, you realize how much power it has on you, right? You cannot function. It's molding you. Everyone is being shaped and molded by something. And it's hard to break the mold, isn't it? When you've been formed and reshaped for so long, right? You go a week without your phone, you're going to realize how desperate you are for it. Any of you guys were smokers back in the day? Anybody smoke? Tried to quit smoking, smoking, right? Like, you know, well, you're probably like, yeah, I quit smoke. I quit smoking all the time. I'm good at it. It's like, <laughs> it's like you're proving my point. But everyone is being molded by something for good and for bad. And lucky for us in the text, Paul is actually using this in the positive. He's saying, listen to this praise for these believers. He's going, but thanks be to God, verse 17. Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin, that's who you were, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having being set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So there's the contrast again. You were slaves. You were being molded and crafted and reshaped to pursue more and more sin. But now you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which you have been committed. So Paul is saying, praise God for what he has done in your life, Christian. That's not who you are. You're being remolded by something better. It's called the gospel, right? We've been seeing that the implications of this are massive over the last few chapters. The Apostle Paul has told us, we were dead in Adam, but now we are alive in Christ. We were once condemned. We are now justified. We were, we were once dead in sin. Now we are alive in Christ. We were slaves to sin. Now we are slaves to Christ. We have been changed, totally changed. If you remember one thing today, listen to this. Christian, when you were ransomed and redeemed from the bondage of sin and slavery, when you heard and believed and trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel has left its mark on you. You've been changed. That's what Paul's saying here in verse 17 when he says, you have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching. And now this, this ESV is great translation. 
But I think the NASB does a better job rendering this word in the Greek, um, this Greek word standard. And I know you're here like, oh, no, not Greek. Don't do, don't nerd out on that. But trust me, it's worth it. If I can grasp this, you can too, okay? So just hang with me. But the ESV translates the word standard of teaching. But the NASB, this word is tupos, which literally means to be formed, or it means a pattern, or it means a mark, or it's like a cake mold. You put all the stuff in the cake and you bake it in the mold, it leaves a mold, or you push your hand down on a memory foam pillow and you raise it up and there's this imprint, there's something left, right? There's a mark that has been made by something. I like this translation in the NASB much better. You have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you are entrusted. The same word in Greek, tupos, in John chapter 20, when, uh, what's his butt? Uh, you guys, uh, Doubting Thomas rolls up to Jesus. <laughs> what's his butt? <laughs> Welcome to the Rock Church. <laughs> you know, the guy in the Bible, what's his butt? I'm sorry. Um, it's the same word when Thomas walks up to the resurrected Jesus Christ. And he says, unless I see his hands, unless I see the marks, the two posts of the nails in his hands, unless I put my finger in the mark, the, the, the two posts of his body, I will not believe. Thomas is saying, I want to see and touch the marks left by the nails on my master's body. That's what we're saying here. Paul is saying, you've been molded by something. God's word has left its mark on you. It has reshaped you. It has reformed you. It has made an impact on you. And that's why Paul says, praise be to the God that the gospel has left this mark on you. And then he says, you become obedient. No, Christian, that that's an active obedience. This is not just, I said a prayer of obedience for one moment in my life, and I just live a life of total hell. No, it's an act of obedience. In that moment, the first moment in my life when I came to Jesus by faith was my first moment of obedience. And I am now daily growing in active obedience because the gospel has left a mark on me. This is what we call sanctification, remember? We've hit that a lot over the last few weeks. Philippians 2, he who began this good work in me will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus' sanctification. I love how C.S. Lewis says it in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, the more, the more we let God take us over, remember, we're talking lordship, we're talking submission, we're saying, here's my life. Every song you sing today is this, Jesus, here's my life. The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us, he invented us. I love that. You see, when we are under the lordship of Jesus Christ, we can become who we are truly made to be. And he is molding, he is shaping his sons and his daughters. And Paul says very clearly here, by the standard of teaching or the word of God specifically that has been entrusted to you, God's word is changing us. When we listen to the word, when we hear the preaching of the word, or it's through prayer and it's through discipleship and it's through fellowship, it's through the Holy Spirit power of God working and molding and reshaping us every single day. When we truly allow God to fully take us over, it leaves a mark, a life-changing, eternal perspective mark of continually being reshaped and remolded into the image 
of Christ Jesus. And now that doesn't mean it's not going to come with some tension, isn't it? If you have not noticed, there is some serious pressure from the world trying to mold you and reshape you into something else. There's this battle happening. Your old master wants to snatch you out of your better master's hand. All of Romans 6 has been speaking about this struggle that's in this believer, right? That we sin and we're fighting sin. We're making war with sin. And yet we, why do we still do this? So let's just continue. Verse 18 and 19. Yeah, yeah. Having been set free from sin, again, have become slaves of righteousness. This is Paul just reaffirming this reality that um, what has taken place in the Christian, right? We have this new master, a better master who now we actively obey. We listen to his word directs us. It influences, it reshapes us, right? We serve him gladly. And Paul says in verse 19, again, speaking of this slavery, topic of slavery, he's like, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. I think it's almost like Paul's trying to say like, sorry, not sorry. Like, you know, like, I'm sorry this language offends you, but I really don't have any more ways to explain it to you. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. We were just talking about how God will, he changes us. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. You could do any amount of sins you wanted. What you couldn't do is be righteous. You couldn't obey God. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which are now, you are now ashamed? Those things that shame. For the end of those things is death. And so notice Paul's now shifting. He's talking about this fruit. You're going to see the evidence of a person who obeys them or, or who or what they obey. You're going to see the fruit in that person's life. For the believer, it's we're being remolded and shaped by the Holy Spirit of God and the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, right? And that's going to show up in our lives. We're going to see it. And Paul's reasoning from our former lives, he's like, do you just think about the old fruit, your old life, the way that you used to live. Do you remember that? I think we can all see that. We see that word shame here. When you, the things that you think about and you're like, oh man, that makes me ashamed. I don't think any of us have any problems thinking about our former lives when we would feed the flesh and the cravings and the temptations and, and the lusts and the perversions and the way that it made you feel instantly after you jumped into it, right? It's just, you just feel robbed and naked and vulnerable and ashamed. That's the fruit of sin. And that's the struggle that the Christians, we experience that still to this day. Why do we still jump out into traffic when we know it does not satisfy? That's the Christian struggle now, isn't it? That's what Paul's talking about here, about being dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. We make war with sin. We don't let it control and dominate us. We are slaves to someone better, but yet we still struggle. And that's going to be chapter 7, and that's going to be chapter 8. But remember, but you have been set free 
That's Paul's big point here. You've been set free from that sin and that shame and that guilt because now you are slaves of someone better. You're slaves of God, and that's fruit. That's sanctification. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's the contrast. We are so much different. We have been set free from sin. This slavery to God is actually liberation. And I know that sounds like an oxymoron, but it's not because when Jesus sets us free, everything changes. When Jesus is my master, everything changes positionally, theologically, eternally, entirely made new and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And when that happens in your life, when God truly comes into your life and starts taking over and starts remolding and reshaping and reforming you by his spirit and the power of the word, your passions begin to change, don't they? The things that we desire begin to change, don't they? That's the fruit that leads to sanctification. And so if you hear anything, I guess I want you to hear a lot of things today, but this one for real too. I want you to understand that Jesus is going to bear good fruit in your life when you obey him. Obeying Jesus produces spiritual, sanctifying fruit in your life. Every single time you choose to obey Jesus and forsake sin, you are growing in holiness every single time. Now, I'll be honest, your old self, your flesh, the devil is going to come at you at your front door and is trying to lure you back into bondage 300 times today, if we're honest. You're going to have 300 tempting opportunities today to choose sin, to do the wrong thing, to gossip, to lust, to push that boundary with her, push that boundary with him, to slander, to blow up on your kids, to lie to your parents about what time you got home. It's coming out of you from every direction. But listen, there's no innocent victims here when it comes to sin, okay? You do not just trip and fall into a cesspool of sin. You go, that looks delicious, and you sit down and lay in it. We sin because our old master rings the doorbell and he puts on some new mask, and we're like, what can this be? And then he pitches us his same stupid thing, and it sounds more appealing than Jesus in that moment. We go like, oh, maybe it will satisfy this time. And then we buy the vacuum. We buy whatever garbage he's selling us. And then he leaves and we realize we've been bamboozled. That's it. But listen to me, every single time one of those temptations and opportunities to sin come at you today, your master Jesus Christ is providing you with a way to escape it. Every single time. I want you to believe this. Forsaking sin is an act of worship. An act of worship. Every trial, every temptation that leads to fear and anger, every discouragement, there are these moments that you're going to have to choose. Choose to be a slave to that sin or choose to obey and abide in the Lord. What if next time you looked at that sin and then you saw it in the reverse. You say, this is an opportunity for me to worship instead. What if you did this in this next moment, next opportunity to sin? Instead, you stop and proclaim this. You, you, like the psalmist in Psalm 46, you say, God, you are my refuge and my strength. You are my very help in trouble. Do you know what that is? That's a total surrender 
and a reliance upon Jesus. That's worship. The next time you're tempted, you stop and you say, Lord, my flesh and my heart fails, but you are the strength of my heart and you are my portion forever. The next time you're tempted to sin and you stop and you sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here is my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. That is a confession of my weakness and a proclamation of his holiness and strength. Do you know what that is? That's worship. What if at every crossroads to sin in your life, you choose to turn to Jesus instead? You realize the ability for you to even do that is grace, that is mercy. In verse 20, it says, you were slaves to sin. It means you were free in regards to righteousness. You could never please God. You would never seek to obey God if he didn't first change your hard heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. Just the ability to say, I don't want to do this is an incredible mercy from God who's given you a way to escape it. Is there anything that you need to forsake today? Is there something you need to cast out, you need to run from today? God will give you the strength. Do you believe that? That there's power in the name of Jesus? That there's power in the blood? That there's power in his word? And there's power in his spirit? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Do you believe that? He has not left you alone. He's given you his son. He's given you his word. He's given us one another. What kind of master is this? Who is like our God? No one. Jesus is a better master. Now, as much as these verses today speak about slavery, I hope you can see with clarity that our lives, of, our lives as Christians, it's not slavery. It's actually freedom, isn't it? When Jesus is our master, you are far from being a slave. I've got these verses, these references for you on the screen. You can fill those out if you'd like in your handout, or you can take a picture of that. I just want you to listen. Just, just a few, just a handful of things I grabbed from the word. What this means for you under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is a better master, you have a better master who has rescued us. In Luke 4, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Jesus is a better master and now a better master possesses us. 1 Corinthians 6, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus says you are mine. Sin has no power and dominion over you because I have purchased you with my blood. You belong to me now. This master ransoms us from a horrible master, and he pays a hefty price. His own life. What kind of master is this? Jesus is a better master who serves us in Mark chapter 10. You guys know this verse. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus does not need <laughs> to be served. He doesn't have any needs that need to be met. He doesn't need help. We do. 
This was true on the cross, and this is true now. Jesus Christ right now serves you, beloved. So this master actually becomes a servant to us? What kind of master is this? Jesus Christ is a better master who sets us free. In John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John chapter 8, he says, the truth will set you free. And in Galatians 5, it says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. When you know Jesus, the way and the truth and the life, you are set free? What kind of master sets their slaves free? Who is like this? We have a better master who calls us friend. John 15, no longer do I call you servants. There's that word, doulos, slave, bond servant. No longer do I call you that. I call you friends. What kind of master is this? We have a better master who adopts us. Romans 8, we'll see this in a couple weeks, Lord willing. You did not receive a spirit of slavery, but the spirit of adoption. John chapter 1, for all those who believe, he gave the right to become children of God. Galatians 4, you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. What kind of master is this? He says, everything in the house is yours. You know what an heir means? It means that's mine. Everything that Jesus owns he says, because you're in my family now, you are my son, you are my daughter, everything's yours. What kind of master is that? So when we look at the whole of Scripture and we see this slavery metaphor, God's word is teaching us that the God who we serve is not in the business of enslaving us, but completely freeing us. John Wesley says this. That's a great name, I might add. A true Christian counts it his chief honor, honor to be the servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. The response for the Christian is not slavery in the negative sense. The Lord is not stripping away our dignity. He is not abusive. It's not belittling, not all. It's an honor. It is an honor to belong to this master who loves us and sought us and bought us with his redeeming blood. Now, my friends, if you are here today and Jesus Christ is not your Lord, I need you to listen to me right now. I'm talking to you right now. If Jesus Christ is not your master, you are in bondage. You are a slave to a horrible master. Something owns you. You are being formed and molded to this master of sin and ultimately your enemy, the devil. And what it offers you will never satisfy. It only provides shame and starvation. It will forsake and abandon you. It will deceive and destroy you. You need a better Master. So our final verse for all of us, and especially for you today, friend, is Romans 6, 23. Our last verse, that God, my hope, my desire is that God would break the chains, the spiritual bondage and slavery you have today, that God would free you today. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
My friend, you know what a wage is, right? A wage is what you earn. It's what you deserve. You go to work. You put in hours and hours. And at the end of the week or the end of the two weeks, they give you a paycheck. They give you what you earn. There's this wage. They say, thanks for your work. Here's what you are worth to us. That is a wage. Scripture says the wages that you are earning, that you are accumulating, the debt, the, the, the retribution to you for your sin from a holy God is death, your life. Sin has a payout. You are accumulating physical and spiritual and eternal destruction and death and separation from a God who's trying to save you. In Romans 1, we read that there's this wrath of God that is going to be poured out, that is right now being poured out on everyone who rejects Jesus Christ. You will give an account for your life before a holy God, Jesus Christ. That is the wage of sin is death. But the good news in Jesus Christ is that he's offering you freedom today freedom from the slave master of sin, absolution from the sin debt that you've accumulated against a holy God. What God offers you today in the free gift of grace and his son, Jesus Christ, is not what you deserve. It is not something you can earn, but because of his great mercy and patience and kindness, and love for you, he offers to give it to you freely. Free. Gift. A better master offers you a new life today. Will you acknowledge that? Will you confess that you are in bondage today? Maybe it's the sin of pride, maybe it's the addictions. It's the lust, it's the perversion, it's your money, it's your career, it's your religion, it's your anger. We all got lots of masters, I know. We need help. Only Jesus has the keys to rescue you from that bondage. His perfect life, his perfect death. If you want to be set free today, I invite you, you give your life to Jesus Christ right now. You cry out for the Lord to rescue you that's the confession of your heart, I plead with you, do not leave this building today without coming to talk to me or talk to one of my friends over at the Connections booth or someone who brought you today. We want to help you understand this even more clearly today, that you can have your sins forgiven. You can have the shackles removed. You can leave here forgiven, reconciled, and set free from slavery, it's beautiful. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Lord, for those of us who believe on God, we thank you that your word reassures us that we belong to you. Purchased by the blood, you served and you gave your life as a ransom for us we praise you for that, Jesus. And also, Lord, I must confess that there is still sin. There is still deception 
in me that wants to resist the thought of me being a slave. My pride says, Lord, I'm in control. My flesh says, no, I'm in charge. I know what I'm doing. But Lord, my flesh and my heart fail. So would you strengthen me? Would you strengthen all of us with your word? Would you sanctify us with your word, Jesus? That was your prayer for us in John 17. Would you convict us and would you lead us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you renew our hearts and our minds to willingly submit to you as our master? Lord, I pray right now for those who uh, don't know you. Lord, I pray you would save them now. Those who are slaves to their sin, Lord, they know, you know. Those who would confess right now in this moment, they would say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, rescue me. Lord, I ask by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. My friend, is that you? Is the Lord speaking to you? Can you hear him? You run to him. You cry out to Jesus. You say, Jesus, save me from my sin. Rescue me from my temptations. Lord, you save me from my addiction. God, you, you heal me. You, you free me from religion. You save me from myself. You confess that to Jesus today. You do that now. And if that's your prayer, friend, you, you come talk to me after this service. You come talk to one of my friends at the Connections booth. You tell the person, your neighbor next to you, you say, hey, neighbor, I don't really know what this means, but that's my prayer. So what do I do next? They'll help you. They'll bring you to somebody. We can take care of you, okay? Jesus, I pray that this would be true of every soul in this room right now, that we would be a people who say, Jesus, you are Lord. So what you say, I will hear. What you command, I'll do. Where you send, I'll go. What you ask, I'll give. Because you purchased me with your blood. Where else would I go? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.